everyone. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1? We're going to read verses 3 to 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Well, there you are. That's the introduction to the passage that we're going to read. Verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love Him, even though you have never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your soul. I was 15 years old when I first went to a Baptist church. I had been raised in a very formal church, a very religious church, uh, but a church in which the gospel as we know it was really never preached. It was all moral homilies, as it were, based on some Scripture verses from here and there. But I had never, ever heard the gospel. I had never been told that I needed to make a personal step of faith to receive Jesus Christ into my heart so that I could be forgiven my sins and could be transformed by grace and become a child of God, a follower of the Lord Jesus. It was only when I was at school that I met some young folks who were Christians, and they invited me to, to go to a Bible study, and then I was invited to go along to church and I went to the Baptist church in Hamilton, and I did not know what to expect, 15 years of age. Uh, my experience of churchianity was kind of long-faced, sober, and not, not very joyful experience. And I went into the church, and first of all, I had never heard hymns singing like it, and I didn't even know the hymns and it was all new, but it made such an impression on me, and folks were warm and friendly and open and welcoming, and 
this was something I had never experienced. This was not church as I had thought church to be. This certainly was not Christianity the way I had experienced Christianity up until that moment in time. And I was led from that point on to the months later, the point where I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and was born again. And I experienced a joy uh, in all of that that I had never experienced before. But like the shepherds, you know, in the Bethlehem uh, hillside, when the angel choir uh, came and started to praise God, and they had never seen anything like this or heard anything like this before, and their hearts were filled with joy because they were told a message, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And I experienced, entered into that experience of great joy when I came to know Jesus Christ personally as my Savior. As a young Christian, one of the earliest books that I read in my teenage years was called Miracles on the River Kwai. I don't know whether it's even in print now, by a man called Ernest Gordon, Miracles on the River Kwai. And in that book, he made a very interesting comment. He, he said, that people in the world look on some folks who say they're Christians, and what they see when they look at them are people who have managed to extract the bubbles from the champagne of life. Now, I thought that was a great phrase. They extracted the bubbles from the champagne of life. In other words, for them, being religious was flat, boring, long-faced, joyless, when actually, when you come to know Jesus Christ, it's like the bubbles of champagne that are, are bubbling over. Your life is transformed, and it's an experience such as you've never experienced before. Joy is at the heart of the gospel, and joy bubbles up in us and spills over from us when we know Jesus Christ because joy is the fruit that the Holy Spirit brings to birth in us. And we've been thinking when I've been here with you about the fruit of the Spirit, and Paul says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Rendell Harris said, joy is the strength of the people of God. It is their characteristic mark. In other words, when people meet us, those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus, one of the things they should experience and encounter by meeting us is joy, to discover that we are joyful people, that the joy of the Lord Jesus is in our hearts and lives. Now, joy is mentioned 63 times in the New Testament, and the word rejoice is mentioned 30 times. So, it shows us joy is important. Joy is a significant aspect of the life of the believer. So, let's think first of all about this fruit of the Spirit that is joy and reflect for a moment on the definition of joy. Now, if you go to a dictionary and you look at the dictionary definition of joy, this is how one dictionary defines joy, an emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something good 
or satisfying. And that's okay as far as it goes. An emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something good or satisfying. But in a way, it falls short of what the Bible says joy is. The Bible describes joy as something so much more than that. According to the dictionary definition, you'll experience joy when good things happen to you. But if you're going through tough times and difficult times, don't expect joy to be part of your experience, you know? Happiness depends on what happens, uh, and joy and happiness are actually two different things. If the things in my life are good, the world says, then I'll be joyful. But if the things in my life are bad, then don't expect me to have joy. And that affects some Christians as well. We get colored by that kind of attitude. Uh, for the past three or so decades, there has been a defective theology going about. And uh, this defective theology uh, has a message which says, if you don't have health, and you don't have wealth, and you aren't prosperous, you are not experiencing everything that God has for you. And it, it's, a, it's, it's really an insidious, defective me message and understanding of the gospel. Because where would Job be? Job, as you know, when you read the book of Job, he lost his health. He lost his wealth and all his possessions. He lost his family and his loved ones. Everything that you would have counted as, as important and significant in life was taken away from him. So where was Job? Was that not actually Job being in the center of God's will? No, this was all part and parcel of Job's journey of faith. And Job had reached a place where he said, well, even if, even if he slays me, even if he kills me, if God takes my life away, I will still praise him. Where would Paul be? Paul, we know, had his thorn in the flesh. Paul was ill frequently, and that prevented him from doing the things that he wanted to do. Did that mean somehow Paul wasn't in the right place in his walk with God? Something was wrong with him? Not at all. God is in the midst of all of these experiences that we call negative, and He actually uh, helps us to experience joy in the midst of even the negative experiences of life. Kenneth Epp said this, joy is not a fleeting happiness or spiritual giddiness, but an inward consistent satisfaction, a gladness of heart that is, fills one's entire being. Joy, as D.L. Moody said, isn't dependent on good things happening to you. He said this, happiness is caused by things that happen around me. Circumstances will mar it, but joy flows on through the dark. Joy flows in the night as well as in the day. Joy flows all through persecution and opposition. It is an unceasing fountain bubbling up in the heart, a secret spring the world can't see and doesn't know anything about. 
the Lord gives His people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to Him. Joy that God gives to us, even through the difficult experiences of life. I love that where He says, joy flows on through the dark. Joy flows in the night as well as the day. Joy flows all through persecution and opposition. Even in life's most difficult moments, we can experience the joy that God gives to us as a gift through His indwelling Holy Spirit. So, the definition of joy is that is, it is that gift that God gives to us that is there in good times as bad times, as well as bad times, bad times as well as good. It is a perpetual spring in our lives that no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we can live in the joy that Jesus gives to us because we belong to Him the definition of joy. Secondly, the source of joy. Anyone can be happy. That's a natural emotion. But the joy that the Bible speaks of is a supernatural gift that comes to us through the Holy Spirit when He lives within our lives. The Greek word for joy is kara, and the Greek word for grace is charis. And they come from the same root, and in other words, joy and grace are together. Joy is the response to grace. And when we have received the grace of God, amazing grace of God, into our hearts and lives, our response to that is joy. It brings us terrific joy in our lives. Nehemiah 8 and 10 speaks of the joy of the Lord, a joy that comes from God Himself and enables us to live in spiritual victory. And that's what we should be experiencing as believers this morning, that as we're in the presence of our living God, the joy of the Lord is within our hearts and lives. Uh, when the people returned from the exile and started rebuilding uh, of Jerusalem, Nehemiah called the people together once they the task had been pretty well accomplished, and they gathered together. There was no temple at that time. And uh, Nehemiah 8.5 says, Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people, and they saw him open the book. They all rose to their feet. That, by the way, is the reason why in the free church, when they read the Scriptures, you stand up. It comes back from that tradition. He opened the books. It was the scrolls of the law, and the people stood up to listen and acknowledge that they were living under uh, the authority of the Word of God. Then Ezra praised the Lord. The people chanted, Amen, Amen, lifted up their hands. Then they bowed down and worshipped. And Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the scribes said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. Go and celebrate. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy, the supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a day for rejoicing. As we gather together in church, as we gather as the people of God, this is the day to celebrate. This is the day for tremendous joy as we acknowledge all that God has done, as we think of how the people of old celebrated what God had done, His faithfulness to them on life's journey so they were filled with joy. Principal Rainey um, 
who one wee girl thought that he went to heaven every night because he was such a joyful person, he coined a very familiar metaphor to explain the fruit of joy. He said this, joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart in which the king is in residence. Uh, you know that the royal standard flies when the queen is in residence, when Jesus is in residence in our hearts and lives. Joy is the flag. And from that, we've got a wee children's chorus that we, well, we used to have. We used to sing it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not sung anymore. And maybe this chorus isn't sung anymore if you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy. Let Jesus come into your heart. When the Lord Jesus lives in your heart and life, He is the source of joy. He is the source of the joy that is ours as we recognize how faithful and how loving our God has been and is towards us. So, the definition of joy and the source of joy, the focus of joy. Well, where do we find this joy? We find joy in God's worth, in thinking about who He is. In Psalm 32 and verse 11, David says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey Him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. We bear the fruit of joy in our lives when we're able to delight in God for who He is. Paul says in Philippians 4, 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Well, are you rejoicing in who God is? Are you rejoicing today in His worth? He is your God. He is faithful and true. Uh, and whether life's pathway is rough or smooth, are you finding joy in the journey? Are you finding joy in Jesus this morning? Joy in God, God's worth, because He is the God who made us, and He knows us better than we know ourselves. David said, you made the, the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. You watched me as I was being formed, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. God knows us so thoroughly. He knows us so well. Jesus said, even the hairs on your head and the ones that aren't there, He knows all about them. Your hairs are all numbered. And, you know, in other words, God, your heavenly Father, knows you intimately, and there's nothing He doesn't know about you. He's the God who made us. He is the God who loves us. Having made us and knowing all about us, He loves us. Jeremiah 31, 3, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love I've drawn you to myself. I mean, God's love is so wonderful. He loves us passionately, and He is the God who helps us. And um, it's, it's good to know that even when we're going through the tough and difficult times, He is there. Don't be afraid. He says in, in Isaiah 43, 1 to 4, I have ransomed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you'll not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. 
the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I am God. And we, we rejoice in, in who God is. We rejoice that He knows us so well. We rejoice that He created us, and we rejoice that He helps us even through our times of difficulty. So, we find joy in God's worth and who He is. We find joy in God's Word, in what He has said. So often when we're going through experiences in life, we turn to this book, we turn to God's Word, we turn to the Scriptures, and as we turn to the Scriptures, God speaks to us. He brings a Word that is just the Word we need to hear. He brings to us something that just speaks into our situation. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 15 verse 16, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God. When the unbeliever reads God's Word, it brings conviction, conviction of sin. But when the believer reads God's Word, it brings joy sheer joy to know our sins are forgiven, to know God is watching over us and taking care of us, and His Word just brings to us the message from God Himself that we need to hear. David said in Psalm 19:8, the commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. So, the focus of joy in God's worth, the God He is, who made us and loves us and helps us, and in God's Word, which brings us hope and assurance and guidance, in God's works, in what He has done. That was a passage that we read together, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, all praise to God, it's by His great mercy we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We now live with great expectation. We have a priceless inheritance kept in heaven, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So, says Peter, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you may have to endure many trials for a little while. And then thinking about the testing that we go through as we're going through trials, our faith remains strong brings much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. You love Him, says Peter, even though you have never seen Him, though you do not see Him now, you trust Him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. In other words, words cannot express the joy that we have in our lives because of the salvation God has given to us 
in Jesus Christ our Lord. Peter reminds us we rejoice in the forgiveness of our sins, we rejoice in the gift of new life that we have received, and we rejoice in the prospect of eternal hope. And so when we think of what God has done, our hearts and our lives are filled with joy, and also we find joy in God's ways, in how God is doing it. Psalm 25, verse 10, the Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness. Sometimes we don't understand why God is allowing certain things to happen to us. We don't understand that. But He is the all-wise God, and He does not make mistakes. And strange as it may seem, it's actually through the hard experiences of life that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that is joy, is formed within us. The Bible tells us, you see, about joy in suffering. James 1, 2, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, the world doesn't see it that way. The world says, oh, you've got problems. Oh, that's dreadful. That's terrible. But James says, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Joy in suffering. Suffering is not pointless. Suffering has its purpose, and we can know joy in the midst of our suffering. J. Nelson Bell, he was the editor of Christianity Explored for many years. He was a father-in-law of Billy Graham. He had been a missionary in China, and when he was in China uh, as a missionary, as a younger man, um, his young son died in China. And as he returned from his young son's grave, he wrote to his mother saying this, there are tears in our eyes, but joy in our hearts. There are tears in our eyes, but joy in our hearts. Only a Christian knows that kind of experience that in the midst of human sadness and loss, nevertheless, joy, the joy that Jesus brings, is flourishing and bearing fruit in our hearts and in our lives. Joy in suffering and joy even in persecution. Jesus said, Matthew 5 and verse 12, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you, because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Or in the NIV, rejoice and be glad. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Dr. Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. He was imprisoned by the Nazis in World War II because he was a Jew. And the Gestapo made him strip naked. They cut away his wedding band. 
They killed his wife and his children and his parents. And he said this, as they humiliated him, he determined this. You can take away my wife. You can take away my children. You can strip me of my clothes and my freedom. But there is one thing no person can ever take away from me, and that is my freedom to choose how I will react to what happens to me. We are free to choose to react to the dreadful things that happen to us in life in positive ways. I remember speaking with one of our church members a good number of years ago who had gone through times of difficult trial, personal trial. And that person said to me, I realized I had a choice. I could become bitter or I could become better. I chose to become better. I thought that was remarkable. She had a choice to become bitter or to become better. I chose to become better. The joy of the Lord is our strength and helps us to do that. And finally, the stimulus to joy. Jesus said, I've told you those things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. He's talking about abiding in Him. It's in that wonderful passage that we read from John 15 several weeks ago. And abiding in Jesus, we bear the fruit that the Holy Spirit enables us and grows within us, the fruit of joy. I've told you these things so you'll be filled with my joy. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.8, you love Him even though you've never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The stimulus to joy, well, that is Jesus Himself, our Lord and Savior. May God enable each of us to be able to say with the hymn writer, Jesus, our only joy be Thou, as Thou our prize wilt be. Jesus, be Thou our glory now and through eternity. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the joy that You have given to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. We know that we are not immune from experiencing the difficulties, the trials, the sufferings that come our way in life. But we thank You that in the midst of all of these tough experiences, Your joy is there, deep down within our souls. It, they, uh, this joy, it's the bubbles in the champagne of life. It, the joy is what makes our lives different 
distinct, worth the living. We thank You for the joy that You give to us. Lord, help us always to seek to let that joy, the fruit of Your Spirit, be formed within us so that others, when they encounter us, might be touched with the joy that Jesus alone can give. For we pray in His name. Amen.